Welcome, everyone, to our second installment of the Bible in Seven Passages. Today we will venture into Passage 2, which, if you have to put a title on it, it will be God's Promise to Fallen Man. As we mentioned last week, this particular series, which was developed by a gentleman by the name of Mike Mazalango from Oklahoma, describes a future world where the Bible is no longer accessible and believers have memorized seven key passages from the scriptures in order to help them keep their faith alive that leads to salvation until Christ Jesus returns. Would you join me in prayer, please? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we love you so very much, Father, and we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to come here tonight, Father, and study your word. We are thankful for the input from each and every person that's here, whether they are here uh, supporting the class or they have comments to make. We're thankful for all of that. Father, we have so many things going on with us in the world these days, individually and collectively, Father, that it's days like this, Father, this opportunity to come and fellowship with sisters and brothers in Christ Jesus and hear your word proclaimed that help us, Father, that brings us comfort, that brings us peace. Father, we thank you and love you. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So the second of the seven passages reveals why the world is the way it is. But not only that, it also reveals the promise that God makes that makes life worth living. You ready, Scott? Here come the first one. First question. First question. Why? Is mankind's life worth living? More specifically, why is a Christian's life worth living? No one? Scott? Yeah. Oh, Tony. <laughs> I, was I was just trying to turn it on. Oh. <laughs> well, our, our spiritual purpose of living, which is uh, beautiful, is to bring glory to God. And so when you, um, the idea of never living, you know, I remember a long time ago before I was a Christian, I used to think to myself, it would be better to never have been born. You don't have to worry about missing heaven. And, you know, going to hell, obviously. Um, but then as I became a Christian, I realized that being born is the best thing ever because then you get to spend eternity with God in heaven if you serve him. And so give, bringing the glory to him is uh, the reason for living uh, in a spiritual sense. But then the gift to God's children is that we have a greater promise coming our way. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? In the previous lesson, I asked you to think of a world where the Bible was no longer available. I described an imaginary plot where the politically powerful, and when I say that, I'm talking about uh, big tech, academia, mainstream news outlets in Hollywood, where they have come together and conspired, where they limit access to and the teaching of the Bible to a point where there is no full text available to anyone, be it publicly or privately. 
Now, in such a situation, I propose that one way to keep the message of the scriptures alive was and productive was to memorize seven key passages that would be able to summarize the essential teaching and purpose of the Bible. So we begin our study by looking at the first of these seven key passages. And so then we were looking at Genesis 1 and verse 1. And Genesis 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning God, Elohim, created, brought into existence from nothing the heavens and the earth. In the study of this foundational verse, we learned something. We learned that on the first day of creation, God called into being the building blocks of our existence. He called into being time, space, and matter. We also demonstrated that these simple ten words that we find in this verse can actually be used to refute as well as destroy 14 of the philosophies and theories that man have developed in order to explain the existence of everything that is going on in the present condition of the world, but they sought to do it without reference to God. Genesis 1 and verse 1, when we look at it, is often referred to as the foundational verse of the Bible. Why? Because that particular verse is more than likely the most uh, frequently read verse of, of any book in history. But also this right here. If we can believe what Genesis 1 and verse 1 says, if we can believe that, what we find is that it sets the stage for the most productive and satisfying study we can have of the Bible, of God's word. So this brings us to the second of the seven passages that would help us summarize the Bible. This is the passage of promise. We see it in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 24. The first of these seven passages, Genesis 1 and verse 1, provides, if you will, the information concerning the origin of the world, but not only that, when I say the origin of the world, I should say in, in the fact that God created it through his word and through his power. The second of the seven verses, Genesis 3, 1 through 24, provides the explanation for us of how the world and the human race came to be in, if you will, the condition of the present condition that it's in. This is a long passage very long but it's easy to remember because in this particular narrative we see we only see four characters we see God we see Satan we see Adam we see Eve in these 24 verses what we will find is there are three key ideas that are introduced that that will establish all that will be written afterwards. Now, tonight, we're going to be looking at just one of these key ideas. Next week, uh, when we come to class, we will be looking at the other two key ideas. So let's get started with the first key idea. The first key idea is this. It gives us the reason for mankind and the reason for creation's fallen state. So being humans this is something we have to think about. At some point in life, we as human beings are going to realize something. We are going to realize that 
I am not as perfect as I thought I was. We're going to realize that we live in a world where others are imperfect. We will find that the natural world around me is also flawed and dysfunctional. When we think about this, we find that people write books, they write songs, they make movies, and all of those are about the fallen nature of mankind and the slow, if you will, and the slow but steady degeneration of the environment. But when we look at the Bible, the Bible reveals that the original cause for both the imperfect world, the original cause for the fallen nature of humanity is disobedience. When I say disobedience, I'm talking about disobedience to God's commandments, which is sin. It also details sin's destructive consequences. These are truths that are eloquently and concisely wrapped together in the origin story of Adam and Eve, their temptation and their fall. Genesis 3 at verse 1a, the Bible reads, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now, when it comes to the serpent, we only learn the serpent's true identity later in the Bible when we read John 8 at verse 44 as well as Revelation 12 at verse 9. In this scene, however, the serpent is just that. The serpent is presented as being crafty and his deceitful nature is immediately on display as he begins to speak. So we go to the second part of verse 1. And the serpent said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Verse 1b begins with not just a question. It begins with a, a subtle questioning of God's authority and God's goodness. In other words, he's, as if he's saying, has God really said this? Or is he saying, is he really serious about his command? Now, the inference here is this right here suggesting that God has denied Adam and Eve something that could be good for both of them, something that could be pleasant for both of them. Think about today. Think about today. Most of us in, in here have been around for a while, a few days. The method is the same today. It hasn't changed. The temptation to doubt that God really means what he says the suggestion that what God forbids is actually good and pleasant continues to draw mankind into disobedience to God's command and similar disastrous consequences that Adam and Eve experienced. In the garden, in the garden, there were two special trees. There was the tree of life and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One tree prepared Adam and Eve for the other one. If they did not eat from one, then they would get to eat from the other. Now, there's a lesson here, and it's a lesson of free will. The lesson that free will needed to learn was that obedience of God's word or laws resulted in eternal life. Adam and Eve, it's obvious from when we read this, this material, Adam and Eve 
fail to learn that lesson. And Genesis chapter 3 contains the story of their failure. We mentioned a gentleman last week. His name was Dr. Henry Morris, and he wrote a book entitled The Genesis Record. He calls it Eve's Five Mistakes. Eve's Five Mistakes. So here's the question. Ready, Scott? Using 2020 hindsight, which we get when we read the Bible, using 2020 hindsight, what would you say were Eve's five mistakes or any of her mistakes? No takers? Okay, we got one over here. Scott. One of her mistakes was not listening to God and listening to somebody else. Mm, yeah. All right. Any more? Just got four to go. Scott? So Eve tr- actually added to what God said. All right. Three to go. Any other takers? Okay. All right, then. So let's, let's jump into those mistakes. Thank you. Number one, she compromised with the rebel. Genesis 3 at verse 2a, the Bible reads, The woman said to the serpent. Not only did Eve respond to a rebel sinner and try to reason with him, but she also became a part of the rebellion, if you will, by condescending to talk with him. She should have rebuked him. She tolerated the serpent's challenge, if you will, to the order of things and began immediately to take a weaker position. She should have acted like Michael the archangel in Jude 9 when he was contending with Satan for the body of Moses. He didn't engage Satan. He simply said, the Lord rebuked you. And he didn't engage Mistake number two, she changed God's word. At 2B, Eve says, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. So what Eve attempted to do here is this. Eve attempted to correct the serpent's question, but in her answer, we see that the damage had already been done. It had already been done. In her reply, she both added to God's word and she subtracted from God's word. She made God out to be more restrictive, if you will, and more demanding than he really was, thus reinforcing what Satan was saying about God. God said, you may freely eat. Eve said, you may eat. God gave them full rights. God gave them full abundance. But she said that they simply had access. Eve added that they were forbidden to touch, which is something God didn't say. However, God did not say, or rather did not restrict touching. To examine to understand what was forbidden was permitted, 
but partaken. That is what was forbidden. Changing God's word to either be too strict or too liberal is wrong. We tend to think that being more strict is a safeguard against liberalism. But think back for a moment. Eve said, God said, we shall not touch. So she changed God's word into a different direction, which was wrong. That was a violation. And also by changing God's word and being more strict, we think about that for a moment. Did that protect her from eventually disobeying God's command? And the answer is no, it did not. Let me see if I can frisbee this. Mistake number three. She considered the offer. Verse four. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. We stop right there before we see what she did. Had Eve rebuked Satan at that time, the matter would have turned out entirely different than it did. History would have been different than it is. Note that the temptation was the same one that led to Satan's own fall in that Satan... wanted to be like God. He said, you will be like God. We can read about this in Isaiah uh, 14, verses 12 through 15. Eve discussed the matter with Satan. Thus, considering his proposal, it made him more aggressive because it works like this. When you do not put down someone's evil ideas or actions, they become more ambitious. They become more emboldened to try to win you over. So at this point, Satan did not simply question the law. He actually accused God of being two things. He accused God of being jealous. He accused God of being dishonest. In other words, he said God is a liar in that he said, it is not that you will die. It is that you will be like God. He accused God of jealousy in that he said, he lied to you because he does not want you to be like him. Now think about that for a moment. In the beginning... God said, let us make man in our image, and in the image of God, he created them, him, male and female, he created them. So God apparently didn't have a problem with us being like him. <laughs> you know, you think about that? Apparently, he didn't have a problem, but Satan, that serpent, had her convinced. So then, he made the same, he made the rather the way of the curse, the way of the blessing. That is, good is evil, and evil is good. God said that if they would refrain from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would eat from the tree of life. Satan told them just the opposite. Satan told them this. 
Now, he, he told him just the opposite, rather. So in considering his offer, in considering Satan's offer, Eve was opening her, herself up to temptation at three levels. Physical temptation, emotional temptation, and spiritual temptation. Physical temptation, good for food, something that appeals to the senses, pleasure, etc. Emotional temptation, pleasant to the eyes, something that was aesthetically beautiful, something that moves you, and then spiritual temptation, desirable to be wise and appeal to one's mind, intellect, and pride to have special insight, a vision. John talks about this as well in John 2 at verse 16. He talks about those same three items there, those same three areas of temptation. There he says in John 2 at verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, pride of life rather, is not from the Father, but is from the world. When we look at our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, we see that he too was also faced with these three levels of temptation, if you will. If you would go to Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 1, we will read the scripture together. And the Bible reads, starting at verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. You notice Christ Jesus did not engage in what Christ Jesus did was rebuke him with the word of God. Christ Jesus said at verse four, and Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Satan wasn't done. Verse five, and he led him up, that is Satan led Christ Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Again, Christ Jesus did not engage, but rebuked. Christ Jesus answered him with the word of God. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Satan was not done. Verse nine. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, I will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Again, no engagement, but a rebuke. Christ Jesus answered and said to him, it is said, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, I believe it's in Matthew, when we read this account that took place, uh, something else is said right here. Christ Jesus says something along the lines of, get thee behind me, Satan. And we're told that Satan left him and that the angels came and ministered to him. So what was these three levels of, this threefold levels of temptation that Christ Jesus was facing as well? It was physical, it was emotional, it was spiritual. Physical appetite, bread when hungry, emotional desire, possession of the world and his kingdom, spiritual pride, special protection by the angels. Eve was attacked by all three levels at once, and she, she seriously considered these things without thought of the consequences. You don't even have to get up for this one, Scott. 
because this is going to be an easy one. You don't have to get up for this one. What should she have done? Just throw it at me. What should she have done? Just throw it at me. Getting behind you. <laughs> I said better behind you. <laughs> what should she have done? What's that? I'm a bit. I heard somebody. Rebuke, okay. Tell her to get, yeah, tell Satan to get behind her. <laughs> All right. Quoted God at him. Yeah, all of those are good. All of those are good. Let's see. Stand firm with the armor of God. Ephesians 6, verse 11. A rebuke. Somebody said that. A firm stand not to compromise. A stand based on the protection of God's, God's armor, which is the word and the spirit of God. Her response should not have been a discussion. It should not have been a consideration. It should not have been a negotiation, but rather a firm stand. James 4, at verse 7, the Bible reads, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Second thing, only two things she had to do here, and she didn't do either one of them, and that's run away. 2 Timothy 2, at verse 22, the Bible reads, Now flee from useful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Psychologists will tell us that we have two basic instincts when we are facing danger, and that is this, to fight or to run away. Depending on the circumstances and our assessment of the situation, we usually choose to do one or the other. We've had uh, active shooters trained in here. And they talk about these things, fight or flight, fight or flight. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes the temptation is too great. It's too great for our strength. And sometimes we may be misunderstood. But let me tell you this right here. It is better to run away than risk being seduced. Ecclesiastes 9 at verse 4. The last part is verse people see that and they go, what? A dog, a lion. But look at those words that precede the dog and the lion. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 4, the Bible reads, for whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Just think about that for a moment. If we are alive in this world, if we are not Christians, we have the hope of becoming Christians. If we are Christians, we have the hope of going to heaven. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely, a live dog is better than a dead lion. Eve did neither of these. She didn't stand firm. She didn't run away. She didn't take a strong stand at all. She didn't run away for protection. She stopped. She admired she considered. She said to herself, why not? Scott, the gentleman behind you. Oh, well, we want the group to hear you. Roger that. Sorry about that. So how, in this world, in the Garden of Eden, how would Eve have known of what danger is? The, what we know what 
the instinct of flight or flight. We know that because there's evil in this world. We've there's a separation that happened. Therefore, us dying, us getting old, getting weaker, it's part of the human what we call the human process. So, how would Eve in this world have known what flight or flight was? We have to remember at this time too the lion and the lamb could have walked together without fear of being a one by by being eaten by one or the other. That's an excellent question. How would she have known? I am not sure of that, but I do know this. She has spent time communing with God face to face. She knew he is the one who created her. She understood what God had said. Uh, When she was confronted by the serpent, and he was saying to her what God had said, she repeated it herself. It came out of her mouth, so she knew what God had said. She knew the instructions God had given. And really, you think about it, it's not too complicated to me when you say, the tree of life eat from and live, the tree of the knowledge of evil eat from and die. Uh, To me, I'm going to life. I'm going to life. Uh, she couldn't, you know, she was already created in the image of God. Um, did she know that cute term of fight or flight? No, she didn't. I'm sure she didn't. Um, but at the same time, when we're little, when we're little, we find ourselves in some children. I, I go back a long time ago, and I found myself in uh, difficult situations. There were some things my parents hadn't told me, but I knew I shouldn't do it. And they hadn't actually said don't do it, but I knew I shouldn't do it. Uh, so I don't have an answer for all the way she was thinking, but she did. It says that she, those three items that was mentioned there in John chapter, in 1 John 2 at verse 16, those same things were listed first there in Genesis where she saw those items. She saw the, um, the physical the emotional and the spiritual temptation. She saw that. And so with that said, I can't, don't know anything else to say about it, but that's a good question. Anybody else want to? Oh, oh we got two. Thank you, man. You came with better question than I did. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> uh, we have to remember that Satan deceived Eve Mm -hmm. uh, by changing what God had said by one single word. Mm -hmm. He added the word not. So God said, you shall surely die. And Satan said, you shall not surely die. Mm. And uh, and then later in the New Testament, Timothy, we we read that that, uh, it wasn't Adam who was deceived, but it was Eve. and so she was deceived by Satan. And so one important lesson for us in that is to remember what God's word says and that the fine details matter uh, because she was deceived by the addition of a single word by Satan. And Jesus, when, when he responded to Satan while he was being tempted, he did so with scripture. Mm-hmm. And of course, he did so accurately. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, court. Mm-hmm. 
You know, Scott, you're going to lose about 30 pounds tonight, bro. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Satan's been doing this since the very beginning, you know. Yeah. When he approached her, he's, he's like a salesman. <laughs> he's trying to get her, you know, and he even makes a statement that she's going to disagree with. And so she encounters him and then tries to reason with him. Mm-hmm. And she was way out of her league. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and it's happening. It happens today. I mean, uh, this, this, uh, this temptation and this, uh, we try to reason with ourselves and maybe with our families and try to reason, well, you know, maybe this won't be so bad. And, you know, and he's just sitting there just laughing all the way to the bank. I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just it's sad. I mean, that uh, she could have made a stand. But I think the, the the temptation of the eyes, the flesh, and the, the spirit is it's tough. That's a that's a tough battleground. Yeah. And you got to be ready. And uh, and it's tough for us too. It absolutely is. <laughs> it's tough for us too. Is there anyone else? Oh. Um, I actually very much enjoyed reading Genesis over and over again. It's one where. You find something new every time you read it uh, when you're uh, when you have the spirit dwelling in you. So, my question would be: Why was the serpent allowed? Correction: Why was Satan allowed to take the form of the serpent and enter into this paradise that garden that uh, Adam and Eve had dominion over? I do not have an answer. <laughs> Tony, were you up? Did you have me hand up? I do not have an answer for that one, bro. Uh, so to the last, the last uh, question, I think Romans 2.15 is a great answer. That is, you know, she was human, full-grown, and God gave her a conscience. And Romans 2.15 says your conscience will either accuse you or, um, or defend you. And so, you know, we, when we're tempted, we're like, eh, I know I shouldn't do this, but... You know, and so she was definitely like the rest of us. Um, her conscience was accused, and uh, why did God let Satan into the garden? Because it was His will and His desire, based on the scriptures. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Like I said, great question. Better than what I came up with. So, based on what's been said so far, we're making a lot of assumptions. I mean, for starters, she's talking to a snake. <laughs> so, we're, we can't even relate to that. Um, and also, not to mention, I mean, it almost seems like an Eve bashing party, but Adam's at fault, too. You know, we're specifically told, God told Adam, don't eat a bit. And when he told Adam, Eve wasn't even there. And we don't have any record of God telling her. So maybe we're to assume he did. Maybe Adam did. We don't know. But maybe just to kind of counteract one point, she isn't like us. She had not experienced sin or death or temptation. And the scriptures seem to speak that she wasn't tempted. She was deceived. She was, you know, bamboozled. <laughs> she, so, you know, this is great in hindsight, but it's not necessarily a one-to-one comparison because we can't really speak to her conditions at the time because she got to walk with God. I mean, you know, that's amazing. Um, 
it's awesome that she got to do that, but I don't know if we can fully understand <laughs> the world in which she lived in. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. That's all. <laughs> yeah. That's why it was a 2020 hindsight. <laughs> all right. So then, mistake number four. She disobeyed. She challenged God. 6B, she took from his fruit and ate. No matter what Satan said, no matter how attractive Eve was to this, no matter how mixed up the serpent made the situation, the bottom line was that with her own mouth, she said that she understood what God had said. She understood his instructions. Do not eat the fruit. So, here is where free will came into play here. She had free will. She chose to believe Satan's, Satan rather, regarding the situation rather than believe in God. She, likes the, she liked the devil's explanation of how things were more than God's explanation of how things were. There was nothing in Eve that pushed her to sin. There was nothing in Eve that pushed her to sin. No weakness of the flesh like us. That led none of that that led her to sin. She sinned because she chose to disregard God's word. Although her sin was more serious in that she received much, it was not any different than our own disobedience today. We sin when we challenge, we sin when we disregard God with our temptation, if you will, a contempt rather of his commands. So mistake number five. And Tim, Adam is not off the hook yet. I'll be to him in a minute. <laughs> okay. Mistake number five. She led Adam to sin. Verse 6c. And she gave also to her husband, and he ate. As a prototype, if you will, to all sinners, once Eve has sinned, she led Adam to sin with her. We do that all the time. She went from being God's defender to being question here that it could be a rhetorical question and you guys can jump on it if you want to because I know we don't know the answer and the question is this the question is why did Adam I know we don't know the answer we got somebody that want to throw one out at us <laughs> I don't really think she led him to sin Adam was a grown man. He was made first. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. She offered it to him, and he made the choice. So just like she made the choice, I think we need to make sure we understand that he made the choice as well. Adam ate in the same way that Eve ate first, and she's not dead. Her body was not dead. So. He, he ate because he wanted to. Yeah. She ate because he wanted to. She wanted to. Both, both had a desire to eat. 
then Satan tempt them and that encourages them to eat. Okay. Uh, Liz? When he said she should surely die, it's a spiritual death and not necessarily a physical death. Okay, thank you. So then, the point, the thing is we do not know what was going through Adam's mind. We have no idea. The only thing we know is what was said for sure, and that was the woman was to see first. We read about that in 1 Timothy uh, 2 at verse 14. All we do know is this for sure, and that's what was said. Great. Let's try this. So then, uh, now Adam may have thought all was lost at that time. If he did, that would have been because of his lack of faith. That would have been because of a weakness on his part. That would have been because a lack of trust in God. Either way, the result was he was disobedient to the word of God, and therefore he had to endure the same consequences. So then, note that these five mistakes are a preview, if you will, to the same stages we go through when it comes to sin. Stage number one, failure to rebuke sin when it appears. Sinfulness is usually attractive. It's usually desirable. It's usually powerful. And our lack of a quick, a quick decision and a decisive decision, when it first appears, is what can cause us our downfall. So how do we prepare for this? We got to have knowledge, knowledge of what is good and evil. And we get this information from the word of God. We got to have conviction, conviction of, of, of who we are, our rightness and the value that we have in obeying God. We got to have an immediate response. That is the ability to recognize and denounce sin as sin immediately. Number two. Number two, compromise God's word. When this is what I'm going to do. I am going to stop right here and take up here next week. The reason being it's going to work. This lesson happens to be a two-part lesson. So I can stop right here, start right here next week, and finish up part two. That way, because I don't want to rush through this because it's very important. It reminds us of how we go through life and all of this. So thank you all for your comments. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for your responses. And uh, look forward to seeing you next week. But meanwhile, I hope you're planning to stay for the devotion that is coming up in a few minutes. And uh, it's an opportunity for us to rejuvenate in the middle of the week as we've had a lot of things going on to us during the week. And we have this opportunity to refresh ourselves, to rejuvenate ourselves, to re-energize ourselves for the rest of the week. So again, thank you for your comments, and next week we will take up in this section right here when we start talking about 
the five stages that we go through when it comes to our sin. Thank you.